This podcast is sponsored by Prime Super, providing straightforward superannuation solutions to Australian businesses for over 20 years. Go to primesuper.com.au to see what we can do for you. Person-centred care is set to be a big part of this leg of the Royal Commission. Um, Person-centred care has made up 37% of the 4,560 submissions made to the Royal Commission. So it's obviously important to people. But it's it's a buzzword. But, you know, what is it? So to join me to unpack this is Lynn Chenoweth from UNSW. Lynn, thanks for joining us. Thank you. The idea stems from the work, um, you know, they foreshadowed it in the Royal Commission of Carl Rogers and Tim Kipwood. It's a very buzzy term, but what is the definition as you see it? Well, person-centred care is, as Kitwood said, it's about making sure that the uh, all the services are really focused on the need of the person, but actually taking into account their personal history, their life story, um, the things that make them feel supported and loved and cared for. Um, and the, the most important outcome that we're hoping to achieve is the support of someone's personhood. Personhood is, you know, comprising all of those things that make all of us feel uh, that we matter, that people recognise that we're human um, and that we have unalienable rights that, that must be supported whether we have dementia or not. Um, so they're the sorts of main principles. And, of mm. course, within that, we um, we actually have to ensure that the person um, is able to live the life that they would would have chosen for themselves if they had been able to express those um, feelings. Mm-hmm. And in the uh, Royal Commission at the start, their introduction, they mentioned that, you know the idea of a relationship-centred versus consumer-centred. The way we view yes. people in aged care yeah. as consumers can be a problem because of the transactional nature or the ideas that yeah. puts people's heads. So how do we kind of get around that? Well, all... all um, uh, social experiences are relational. So the whole idea of person-centred care is that we focus on creating and developing and maintaining a relationship with the person and their family and their loved ones in negotiating all of the things that we do to help the person um, have a quality of life. And many of these people are, are coming into residential care or they're receiving care at home or in other services at the end of life. So all that we need to do is to focus on well-being, to focus on supporting their personhood, uh, supporting their choice and their decision-making and giving them a quality of life that you and I would wish to have. Mm -hmm. That sounds really very easy. What are we doing now or how come we haven't been doing this already? Well, it's just that when anybody comes into some sort of system, um, usually the system is the focus of what we do. So, for example, we, if we have 50 people living in one aged care home, um, it's understandable that we would probably try and ensure that everybody is able to have a meal within a certain period of time, that everybody's able to have personal care within a certain period of time, and that they're able to actually live a life that they wish to live within the constraints of that um, care environment. What we do with person-centred care is to think about, well, if our service is meant to be supporting the individual needs of that person and their uh, aspirations, 
what we need to do is to rearrange how we offer those schedules of things like meal times, um, care routines, um, any other activity that occurs to meet the need of the individual rather than the individual needing to fit into the schedules of the home. So what it means is that we have to really get together as a team and work out how can we ensure that everybody um, is able to be provided with an individualised type of service rather than them having to fit into the service that, that exists. You touched on it earlier, but if we look through this through the prism of dementia, um, you mentioned it's a belief that personhood can be maintained. How do we do this for maybe people who can't fully or can't really well uh, put to people what they want? Well, in that case, we usually work very closely with the family and their other loved ones and find out exactly how the person lived their life, what was the routine that they normally followed, what are their preferences, what are the things that make them feel happy and in a state of well-being. How can we really shape our services to meet their particular needs and aspirations? And so if we work closely with those people, we can get the voice of the person um, to actually plan their care and to monitor that as we go. So as people uh, with dementia change, um, as the dementia condition uh, continues on, those needs and aspirations might change. And what we have to do is to look very carefully at how the person responds to what we're doing with them and for them. And if they're responding in a, in a way that indicates they're not in a happy state, then we adjust things and we work with the family and also with the staff who provide the face-to-face care every day. They get to know the um, the person really well and they will know what um, is going to be a good approach for that person as well as the family and loved ones. So we work closely with those people and we also reflect on how the person is responding to the situation and monitor that very carefully so that we make sure that at every stage we're really trying to address their particular needs. And so you you mentioned staff there. Do we need to maybe build a, a staff screening tool to make sure that we have the staff who are capable of this sort of care? Um, well, staff, any, any person who's employed to do a particular job needs to have uh, the right attributes, um, the abilities and the training to do that job. And that, that needs to be an ongoing process of monitoring and adjustment. So if we have people coming in to work in aged care, you know, I think the first thing we need to do is to make sure that they're happy um, and capable of doing the work that they're expected to do. And it's a very demanding job because they need to use a lot of intuition, uh, a lot of intelligence, creativity and goodwill to be able to care for people with cognitive impairment who are not able to express their needs. Uh, so we need to be able to get into the mindset of that person and that takes quite a lot of skill. So I think that good training, good supervision, ongoing monitoring and adjustment of the staffing mix and the staffing type is really important in this setting. You know, we, we can't have people caring for very unwell older people with um, many impairments um, and expect them to do a good job unless they're properly supervised and properly trained and um, and that, that process is monitored very carefully. Mm-hmm. Now we've kind of looked at the the levels within an aged care centre, but if we go on a, on a bigger level and look at the industry, how do we redesign an industry to make patient, patient person-centred care possible? Do we need to work into policy frameworks? 
definitely policy has to um, drive this because the individual person might do a very good job, but they're really battling the system. So um, the the whole system has to rethink what is most important, uh, given that when residential care was first developed, it wasn't for people with dementia. It was generally for people who are older and frailer and who chose themselves to come into care because they knew that they needed extra support, which their families couldn't provide. The whole system and the, and the, uh, the population group that are now living in aged care are at the end of life, they're extremely unwell. A lot of them have cognitive impairment and many other impairments as well. And we need to adjust the models and the policies to address that. We can't continue with the old way of thinking, you know, it's okay to have one staff member for six residents or eight residents. That model needs to be adjusted according to need. If you've got people with high impairment levels, you need to adjust that way of thinking. And and that's where government policy, government funding and taxpayers' understanding of what is needed have to change. We can't really continue with the system as it has existed up to this point. And I mean, I'm asking you fairly big questions here, but how do we, is it going to just, is after the Royal Commission, how do we keep telling the public and government that these things need to happen and this is important? Yeah, well, I think um, education on a broader platform. So, for example, if if you know when when you see the government and and the uh, health departments putting out lots of television advertisements and advertisements in other media about things like diabetes, protecting yourself, um, uh, you know the, the campaigns against smoking, the campaigns against uh, brain health, all of those big campaigns which have been very effective in reducing some of the um, the risky behaviours that people um, indulge in. Um, they have been extremely effective in reducing things like smoking rates, heart disease, cancer, whole range of things. And it's now the same with dementia. We have to educate the public on understanding that a person who needs to come into care or who, who has care at home um, they need very particular levels of support and this is the type of support they need and it's going to cost us money. And as a society, we have to put our hand up and say we are willing to to actually go down and, and provide this level of support through our taxes in, in other ways such as community support and putting into community and putting into helping those who are struggling at home caring for someone with dementia. You know, in other countries, this is mandatory. You know, um, in some of the Scandinavian countries, for example, it's mandatory that in every community that people actually provide um, community-based support for those in need. And um, it's something that I think Australian people have to get their heads around, that we all have a responsibility to help others. And it, it extends to residential care as well. Coming in as a, a visitor, helping to feed people, helping to uh, have conversations with people, helping to provide recreational activities, helping to um, make sure that people um, have somebody that just visits them so that they're not alone. And that helps the staff to ensure that the person has some social contact, that they feel part of the world. And that in itself will actually improve the quality of care. It's a massive issue, but like you said, there are some really, really easy, it would seem, things we can all do to to improve this type of care. Um, Lynn, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Bye-bye.